from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. It's being called the Save Women's Sports Act as if women are in need of saving and the greatest danger to women's sports is our trans community. It is absolutely disturbing uh, attacking such a such a group of people. How do you know? Do they really understand what they're saying? Right? You ask yourself a million questions. I'm defending my daughter's right to be cut from her middle school basketball team just like her mother was. Writes on Twitter, quote, at best it feels like the exploitation of a political wedge issue. The self-reflection that he's done is more than many of us have done when we reach our 30s and 40s. And then the very next day announced it in virtual kindergarten. <laughs> this came out on Zoom. It came out on Zoom. <laughs> and how did her her classmates, her teacher, I mean, sometimes on Zoom, no one's even listening. But well, how right, did this well. announcement go? I'm Sarah Fenske. Ready or not, the Missouri legislature adjourns this Friday, but one of the most high-profile bills to see debate this session remains in limbo. The Save Women's Sports Act was approved by a Senate committee, and its provisions were also tacked on to a different, unrelated bill passed by the Missouri House. If the Senate signs off on that version, it would lead to big changes in how schools across the state would have to handle sports participation for transgender girls. The bill was proposed by State Senator Mike Moon. The Republican from rural Ashgrove, Missouri, is best known for his vehement opposition to abortion rights. He did not respond to our request for an interview or a statement. But some St. Louis parents say their children would be directly affected by Senator Moon's bill, and they have grave concerns. And they join us today to tell us more. Maharat Rory Pickernice is the executive director of the Jewish Community Relations Council. She is also the mother of a transgendered boy, and she joins us today. Rory, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be with you. And Pastor Jennifer Harris-Dolt is an associate pastor at the St. Louis Mennonite Fellowship and the mother of a seven-year-old transgender girl. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you. It is so good to be here. So, Jennifer, you and Rory both testified against this bill. And before we delve into the reasons for that, can you walk us through exactly what this bill says? Sure. So this bill uh, seeks to keep transgender girls from being able to play on girls' sports teams. And basically, this would be for any school in the state of Missouri that gets any state funding. This would be private or public. I believe so. Okay. And it's saying just flat out they cannot play on these girls' teams. Right. It would say that they would need to participate on boys' teams. Okay. So, Rory, this is something that you testified against. Give us the overview. What are, what are your big concerns with this requirement? There's so many concerns that we have about this. And first and foremost, this bill seeks to codify into law discrimination against trans youth. And it's really a solution in seek of a problem. Um, there, there's been a handful of students in the past decade, I think the AP reported that there were only two girls who are transgender who played on girls' sports team in the last 10 years in the state of Missouri. Mm. Um, and it's being pitched as if this is something that we should be scared of, that our children are scary. And that in and of itself is hugely problematic at a time when we're already seeing the trans community 
being attacked and marginalized and facing violence simply for who they are. And Rory, you are the mother of a transgender son. So this would not directly affect him. Is that correct? So the provision itself would not stop his ability to play sports, but it would impact him in that he sees his body being debated by some of the most powerful people in his state. And that does something to a child. Then Jennifer, this would directly affect your daughter. She's seven. I know, I have a six-year-old. They're not exactly like tearing up the athletic fields at this (laughs) point, but many of them are beginning to think about or starting to play sports. Would this affect your daughter directly? It would. Um, She's scared. Before all of this legislation, she hadn't seen anyone who would look at her differently because she's trans. Um, You know, she's a teacher's pet. Like She's (laughs) beloved by everyone who knows her. And the idea that she would not be able to play sports with her friends, it devastated her. And so you have talked to her about this. Yes. What was that like? That that must have been one of those conversations that parents kind of dread having. Right. We, we've we been minimal with details, um, but she knew that I was going to testify. She's been to lobby days. Um, and, yeah, so we, we told her that there were people who didn't want her to be able to play on girls' teams that thought she should have to play with the boys. And what was her response to that? She said trans girls should be treated just like everybody else. Yeah, I mean, so her core assumption here is when she's ready to play sports, if she wants to play sports, she wants to do it with the girls. Absolutely. Rory, for your son, um, I understand that he is also aware of this bill. This is something you've talked to him about. Absolutely. He has been in Jeff City for every opportunity that he has had to testify on these bills as well as other bills that have been targeting trans kids. Um, He's become a a real outspoken advocate for trans rights, which is something that I'm incredibly proud of. And also incredibly sad that at the age of 11, he's already been in the Capitol for three years. People know him by name. They recognize him by sight. And He should be in school playing with his friends. Um, This isn't what he should be worrying about. Yeah, so he's 11 years old, and he has already testified at multiple hearings. Rory, this is an issue that, that keeps coming up in Missouri. We've been fighting this bill for three years now, and it's come in various forms. Um, Other versions of it have stopped any child from playing on a sports team, not according to the sex assigned to them at birth. This year, it's being called the Save Women's Sports Act, as if women are in need of saving and the greatest danger to women's sports is our trans community. There are things that women's sports needs, and we've had many athletes join us in testifying against these bills, saying that women's sports needs equal pay. It needs better protection against sexual assault. It needs more respect and equal opportunities but not protection from trans athletes who want to be like everyone else and for whom sports and athletics is often a way that they find themselves and find comfort in their own bodies. Rory, you mentioned that there's been some some female athletes who have testified against this bill. Have we heard from a, a number that have testified in favor of it? What's it been like during the committee hearings you've been at? 
The committee hearings have all been a, a pretty mixed bag. There have been female athletes who have testified in support of these bills. Very frequently, it's been parents of athletes who have testified in support of these bills. People who are scared that trans athletes are going to be taking spots from their daughters or that what they're calling, you know, that, that quote-unquote real boys or men, whatever that means, are going to be in locker rooms with their girls. That's the fear that's being sown. And what I want to make really clear in this is that no one is talking about putting boys onto girls' sports teams. The people that we're talking about are girls. For many of them, as they get older, they are taking hormone treatment, they're taking estrogen, they are presenting fully as girls, they are integrated as girls. We are not talking about, um, if anything, in, in the reverse of having somebody who was assigned female at birth who would be taking testosterone and then suddenly going into these locker rooms should be far more of a concern. But there, there's this element where they want to talk about fairness, to say that it's not fair that if a trans athlete would be better than their daughters, that they would lose a spot. And there's been very few statistics to show that trans athletes are actually better at sports. Um, I, I think Jennifer and I both have said that our kids are not <laughs> going to be putting anybody out um, of any kind of professional sports teams. We don't necessarily have the most coordinated of children. Um, but what's really at stake here is sowing fear and trying to keep people out to think that their own children are going to somehow get ahead. And the whole point of sports is that there is competition. Not everybody is going to always make it, but we don't do that by just trying to eliminate anyone that we see as a competition. Jennifer, Rory's done a really good job of speaking to some of the things that are said in these committee hearings. I know you have been there too. Any part of what she talked about or anything else that you've heard that, that you'd want to um, respond to here? Yeah, it, she brought up that our kids are not the most coordinated. I've joked that, you know, I'm defending my daughter's right to be cut from her middle school basketball team, just like her mother was. Um, but also, you know, we want our kids to excel at the things that they are good at. So, you know, if my daughter or if Rory's son or if someone else's kid is really good at sports, I want to be able to cheer them on. Sure. This isn't just about the uncoordinated trans kid. It, it's about every trans kid. Right. And, you know, we, we celebrate when we see trans people who are out in the world and accomplishing things. We show our daughter that news. We celebrate it with her so that she knows that whatever she's good at, that she can, you know, the world is open to her. So we heard from a number of you on Twitter who had thoughts about this proposal. This has certainly been one that has a lot of people paying attention to it. Uh, Dave writes on Twitter, quote, at best, it feels like the exploitation of a political wedge issue. At worst, it's our legislature punching down at already marginalized youth. It's a heavy handed solution looking for a problem. And the government's time should be spent on improving the welfare of the people. We're curious to hear what you think about this. Do you support Senator Moon's proposal? Uh, do you have questions about how all this could play? out. You can call us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. And we are talking today to Maharat Rory Picker-Nice, who is the mother of a transgender boy, an 11-year-old. Uh, we're also joined today by Pastor Jennifer Harris-Dulls, who is the mother of a 7-year-old trans girl. We do need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue these conversations with both of them and, and hopefully hear from some of you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio.
Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. We're talking today about the Save Women's Sports Act. That is a hotly debated item this year at the Missouri legislature. You know, that session ends on Friday, but there still is a very real chance this could get approved. It's been tacked onto a bill um, that already has approval uh, from the House. It's also been approved by a committee. It's working its way through both chambers. And there are some parents that have some real concerns about that. I'm joined today by two of them. That is Pastor Jennifer Harris-Dalt, who's the mother of a seven-year-old trans girl, as well as Maharat Rory Picker-Niece, who is the mother of an 11-year-old transgender boy. Um, And Rory's son has testified at these hearings. Jennifer, your daughter has not testified yet at these hearings, but she's gone to lobby day. This is something where she's comfortable talking to people about this part of her life. Correct. And she really wanted to go testify as well, but we told her, you're not old enough to hear all the things that are being said about you. You were worried about what she would hear in this room. Correct. And then going to those hearings, were there things said where you're like, wow, I'm glad my daughter was not here for this? Oh, absolutely. So tell me a bit about your daughter. She's seven. How did this journey begin for you? Yeah, so really as soon as she could express preferences um, for anything, she, she liked sparkly things. Purple has been her favorite color from the moment that she could name one. Um, And she liked dresses and tutus. And we had a lot of conversations back, you know, before she came out about what others might think about that. Um, Mm -hmm. But we always supported what she what she wanted to do. Um, Just over a year ago, uh, she told us, I'm a girl. Um, And then the very next day announced it in virtual kindergarten. (laughs) This came out on Zoom. It came out on Zoom. (laughs) And how did her her classmates, her teacher, I mean, sometimes on Zoom, no one's even listening. But how did this announcement go? um, I think she was trying to say it out loud and kept getting cut off. So she typed it into the chat. (laughs) And her teacher immediately said, we're going to go into breakout rooms to discuss our weekends. (laughs) And has her teacher, since that moment of, I'm sure, being caught off guard, has her teacher been supportive of where this has gone for your family? Yes. The school has been great. Um, and that particular teacher had, I mean, I think most people who who know my daughter were not surprised by this news. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, she wanted to make sure that we knew and, and all of that. And I was in the room so quickly, was emailing her and waving. Um, but, you know, she immediately told the class that Simeon is a girl and we're going to refer to her as she and her. Um, and so in your own little corner of the St. Louis universe, it sounds like this has gone just about as well as, as anybody could have expected. And yet there's this bigger picture here. Does that give you concern? It does. Um most of the parents talk about how the only bullies in their kids' lives are in the Missouri legislature, that mm. it's it's those in power, those who are bringing forth these bills are the ones who are harming our kids, who are giving our kids, you know, breaking their hearts. 
Rory, I'm wondering if, if you can relate to that. As you said, your, your son has now testified for three years, various bills. This keeps coming up. Um, are things good in, in his little corner of the world beyond state politics? Absolutely. My son transitioned when he was seven. His school has been unbelievably supportive. His friends have been great. And we've just been surrounded by people who not only love him for who he is, but have really supported him in his advocacy and his journey. And so particularly this year, I don't think we've gone to Jeff City without somebody else who's been by our side, making sure that he's having a positive experience, making sure he's able to process what's going on, making sure that he just feels the love that's around him. And that's been so huge because it's exactly what Jennifer just said. The only people who have ever told him that he's different or less than in any way have been in the Missouri legislature. And he knows that. And so it's been amazing because I've been scared about bringing him so much. And what's that doing to him to have to keep hearing this from people? And what he said to me is, I know they're wrong. Um, because he knows that the message that he's gotten overwhelmingly is that he's a super cool kid. And that's really empowered him to speak out, not only on behalf of himself, but on behalf of other trans kids who don't have that same amount of support or don't have the ability to go to Jeff City and advocate for themselves in the way that he can. That seems like just remarkable self-assurance at that age. As an 11-year-old, I, I don't think I would have the the wherewithal to feel that way. But it sounds like he's, you know, he's in a community where he feels truly loved and supported. That gives him the strength to go in, into this broader world. Which makes me feel so good to know that that's what he's surrounded by. And I think, look, you know, what does it mean to be seven years old and know who you are, right? To be able to stand up and say, I know that I'm a boy. I mean, the self-reflection that he's done is more than many of us have done when we reach our 30s and 40s. And so it's just amazing to see. Look, it's scary. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I'll just speak for me. You know, like when your kid tells you that they want to transition, and especially when they're young, how do you know? Do they really understand what they're saying? Right? You ask yourself a million questions. And seeing how consistent he has been, how confident he is, how supported he feels, and how much he just loves who he is as a person affirms for me that he's on the right path in life. And nobody else is going to stop us from that. So we have heard from, again, a number of people with thoughts on this. Amanda writes on Twitter, if these people actually cared about cis women, they'd focus on real issues like making all reproductive health care easily accessible. Conservatives are just looking for things to be mad about because they don't actually have any real principles. Laura writes on, on Twitter, I want politicians to stop thinking about us girls in locker rooms and listen to what we are telling you we need. Safe legal abortion, other health care affordability and access, child care affordability access, funded public schools, fair pay, and fix Missouri's languishing foster care system. If you have thoughts on this, again, we're at STL on air. We're also at 314-382-8255. Again, that's 382-TALK. Just a lot of people who have concerns about this. At the same time, you know, there's been this big national story um, in recent months, and we're talking about this swimmer at Penn. This is something that people are saying, is this going to knock my kid off the team? It seems like some of this is driven by that fear that, as you're saying, Jennifer, that's just not, with what we're talking about in Missouri, this is not even on the table. 
Right. And, you know, Leah is who's been brought up at each of these hearings. She has won some races. Mm -hmm. She's also lost some races. (laughs) This is the pen swimmer, Leah Thomas, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Nathan is calling from Chesterfield. Nathan, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. Thank you very much for taking the call. No, I just wanted to call up and, and, and show my appreciation. This is, this is fantastic work. Thank, for all, thank you for all your time going to Jeff City and participating in these hearings. I'm, I'm, a, da- I'm a father of a, a 12-year-old transgender daughter. She transitioned about three, four years ago. Um, and it really was an amazing experience with, with our school district and our community. There's been nothing but support, uh, total acceptance, and she is absolutely not even close to the best basketball player on her team. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Nathan, if this goes forward and it would bar her from being able to play on girls' teams, um, would that be a problem? Is that something that would affect her? Uh, I, I think it would. I mean, she does like to do a lot of different sports. She loves diving. Uh, she was a really fantastic gymnast, and she completely had to give that up because of the the differences in in that in that sport and the and the resistance in that sport. So she really had to give up already one of the sports that she really loved, and she's just trying to stay active and stay uh, and and play with her friends. Hmm. I can understand that, Nathan. I understand for you also that uh, this this whole experience that you feel like the people around her have been really good. Does this give you pause to see what's happening in Jeff City? Uh, oh, absolutely. And we've, we've contacted our representatives and they're, they're supportive of our side of this position. Um, it is absolutely disturbing that attacking such a, such a group of people. It's just, it's just completely unnecessary. It just feels like nothing like, it feels everything just bullying by, by, by the people in power. Well, Nathan, I want to thank you for that phone call. Thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Great to hear a perspective from somebody else who's out there in the community. Rory, do you get this kind of feedback after you've done this testimony, seen your name in the paper, your, your son's name out there? Um, is the feedback largely positive? You know, it's always mixed. I mean, we do. And, and Nathan, thank you for sharing your story. And we hear overwhelmingly from people who thank us and who are grateful. And I think many people who also just realize that this is not something that is a problem in their world. For the most people who really care about this, it's because they're worried about their own children wanting to have access to everything that's that's before them and realizing that gender identity is just one of the many facets of all of our lives and, and things that don't fit neatly into boxes the way we want to pretend that they do. Certainly we'll get a lot of pushback. Usually it's on social media, so um, hate speech via Twitter and that's part of where, you know, that's that's the... That's the way that this conversation is really unfolding. But what's been really fascinating for me, and I appreciate some of the comments that you're lifting up, is the ways in which the debate around abortion is also getting tied to this debate around trans bodies, and particularly ways in which there are people who don't identify as women who have a uterus, people who do identify as women who are not being considered as part of um, the discussion of reproductive justice, and in general, a conversation about who has autonomy over their own bodies. So, Rory, you are now a veteran of multiple years of going down to Jefferson City. This same bill, under a different name, was up last year. Nothing came of it. Now we're at the very end of the legislative session. There are just about three days left of this, and then they have to adjourn. Do you think there's a real shot of this passing the Senate with everything going on right now? Um, I'm going to be 
biting my fingernails until the very last moment. And I'm, I would never say that anyone shouldn't worry about it. Um, so look, I think there's always a real shot. I think there's a real desire to get this push through. I also will say that there is a significant portion of people in Jefferson City who have been phenomenal advocates, who have gotten to know our children over recent years, who are just the biggest supporters. They are people who will recognize our kids, bring them onto the House floor, bring them onto the Senate floor, and who have said that they will go to the mat to stop this bill from happening. I hope they're able to do it. There's nothing else that the rest of us can be doing. It's really in the hands of the legislators now. There's no more public testimony. And so all we can do is, is sit with bated breath and hope that the people who are the ones in positions of power are able to do whatever they can do to run out the clock on this bill. Jennifer, is that almost the hardest part at this point, knowing that there's nothing else you can do, but this could kind of just slide through at any point? Is, is this something where there's some anxiety about it's out of your hands? Yeah, I, I'm up at night. You know, my husband and I have conversations every day and probably for the last month, at least one of us has been in tears every day as we think about what these bills could mean for us and our family and for so many others across the state. So you're continuing to refresh, uh, see what happens next in Jeff City, just holding your breath. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, doom scrolling of Twitter. (laughs) And listen, my husband was listening to debates on the floor Uh, when I left the house this morning. Oh, boy. I'm sure you're going to be glad when this session wraps up on Friday. (laughs) Very glad. Well, Pastor Jennifer Harris-Dolt, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And Maharat Rory Pickernese, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This episode was produced by Jane Mather Glass with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on apple podcasts on the app store it's the simplest way to help people discover our show thanks st louis public radio is a member supported service of the university of missouri st louis Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.